Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. We're in the black and not in the red. And I think that's what we're all just kind of trying to hold on. And then once the storm's over, you know, we've all been doing like push-ups in the closet. We're going to come out with beach bods. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends, and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. Dining is done yet again. Parts of California are facing another stay-at-home order. What do you do if you own a restaurant? What do you do if you own two or three or more? Tara Lazar owns six, spanning all sectors of hospitality. And while most of us are struggling to pivot one location, Tara is masterminding how to ensure all six survive the year. Today, we get real about the struggles she's working to overcome and the highs and the lows along this path. My name's Tara Lazar, and I um, am a Palm Springs native. I decided to open up some restaurants um, about 13 years ago, starting with Cheekies and Birba, Mr. Lions. Um, we have a little hotel called Alcazar, a couple bars, Seymour's and Toucans, and a catering company called F10 Catering and Events. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your life was like prior to the pandemic relative to being a restaurateur, a spouse, and a parent? I had a kid in February, so um, I was parenting, uh, barely. I was a spouse, barely. Um, I refused to ever cook at home. And um, as a restaurateur, I was um, on the hamster wheel because we had Coachella quickly approaching, and that's our busiest time of year. How did you feel about that? How did you feel about that work-life balance, where your attention was directed? Um, because of the closures, we all had an opportunity to rethink the choices that we had made prior to the pandemic. Where did you land? Um, I'm going to start with like nailing the whole idea of work-life balance because I don't believe it exists. I think maybe at its best, you get a little work-life harmony, uh, but work-life balance in our industry, I don't think can ever exist as much as I preach that I wish it could. And I try to get um, our team to do it better. But um, yeah, I was pretty numb, I would say, just in the grind of it, like, didn't really know what I was um, peddling the wheel for. Uh, the end of the tunnel was not something I was going to consider until like June or July when our season slowed down. So um, yeah, I was I was in the grind. And um, I, having just given birth to a kid, um, knowing that it was into my busy season, knew that um, I would see my kid in about four months and hope that someone else could feed it. So a lot of the people that I've been talking to were very focused on empires. You own an empire, Um, multiple brands, multiple tiers, a variety of aspects when it comes to hospitality. A lot of people have said that they, they wish looking back that they had grown deep instead of wide, that they had focused on 
one or two key locations as opposed to growing to five or six or seven. What's your take on that? And you refer to different cities when you say growing wide? Yeah. Well, and, and multiple locations. As you know, when you're in a city, um, you start you start getting the inner track from staff to great new locales opening. And um, part of my building was literally like opportunities that I was just like too greedy to pass up. Um, and I, I've gotten stung as well. I've opened restaurants and closed them. So um, it hasn't really been a straight line traje- trajectory for me. But... Um, I'm also really fickle and I get tired of things easily. So um, having multiple locations has enabled me to kind of, oh, I want to focus on fine dining this month. And, oh, I'd rather do like really casual stuff. And, oh, I just thought of a great new catering idea. So it allows me to, you know, jump around in my head as naturally happens. Um, Obviously, the the more um, is never... Never the easier, but it definitely, um, you get economies of scale. So that's definitely an advantage that we get to have. Did they all make money? Because I know like some restaurateurs have a catering company that helps finance this particular restaurant that they own that doesn't make money, but they need that restaurant for the FaceTime and the face value and the branding so that the catering company does well. How, how did your brands intertwine? That's a, a great Point and a great question. I think our catering company allowed us to have a lot of unnecessary superfluous management. Um, so each restaurant could hold its own, but we would make the restaurants, you know, offset some of the management labor um, and have the catering company come and do a sweep and have like that umbrella you know, or safety net um, so that everyone was always profitable. So losing a catering company during this moment is really devastating financially. The other thing is when you're building a bench, you know, you have to hire management that you might not need. So you're ready to go for growth. And so that was a quick like, you know, scratch the record, do a full stop. Like, what do we do with the great talent that we've kept that we love, but that we know we're not going to have room for in the next six months. So that's been a little devastating having to part ways with those people. We're both parents. And one of the things that having a daughter really illuminated for me is what it's like to be a woman in this world. And the realization that I have no idea what it's like to be a woman in this world. And what's worse is I've never even asked the question. You know, the thought has just never crossed my mind. And I wanted to ask you, because we do have a personal relationship, what's it been like as a woman coming up in the industry? And how do you think your experience is different from mine? I really appreciate that question. And um, as you know, I don't play the woman card that often, but we definitely have to fight a lot harder to get noticed, I think, or better yet, to be taken seriously. Um, And, you know, the network that gets created among chefs and restaurateurs um, is definitely a gentleman's club. And there's not a lot of room for women. Um, in that, and you know, I I think there's a lot of great women uh, leaders, but they're a touch older than I am, and um, just my like comp set of restaurants and restaurant groups don't have a ton of women who are doing what I'm trying to do. 
So let's flash forward to March, right? The pandemic hits. What's your initial reaction? Total denial. It's going to be a few weeks. Um, and just like, guys, we're, we're good here. Just, you know, don't clean out the fridges. Just clean out the, you know, the quick perishables. And then it rolled on and on. And I still don't think that this is going to last a lot longer. I know I'm like in the 1%, but I keep thinking like, oh, numbers are going to go down and, you know, we're going to wear masks for a little bit. And then we'll be like, eh, forget these masks. Um, Obviously, I couldn't be more wrong, but I'm wondering, you know, our restaurants got open and um, we're, you know, in the black. And so, and we got a lot of our staff that wants to work back. So that was a big relief. But, you know, on the catering side, oh my God, this is, this could be, could be really, really rough for a really long time. And keep in mind down here in Palm Springs, we do a ton of events, um, big events, big corporate events. So, um, definitely having dry meat without gravy for a while. <laughs> for a Southerner, you can understand. No oh, I can. I can. <laughs> These are definitely lean days. What, what was the wartime strategy and what was your communication strategy? You know, I failed so hard with communication. And I, I hope that my apology has been accepted with my staff, but we didn't know what to say. We didn't know how to say it. We didn't have the right answers. And so we stayed really quiet and I think it stressed everyone out and I regret it. And, you know, we, we started having zoom calls and we started getting our communication out more and we've kind of committed now to give like at least an update every two weeks. Um, even if we don't have the right answer, even if we don't have any answer, just to let them know what's going on through our mind. You know, it's like, being a parent, when a kid asks why and you say because, you're like, that's so like douchey, you know, like tell them why or like tell them you don't know, but don't tell them because. And so I think that um, probably we got a lot of great feedback from being a lot more transparent and telling them what we're scared about and, you know, being realistic, like half of you aren't going to come back to work in the fall. And, you know, if you guys want to go, this is a great time to go find something else, do a hobby, you know, do, do something that you haven't been able to do because as soon as we do open in full effect, we will bring you back, but that's not going to happen. Well, I, I've worried about the same thing myself, especially in communicating with the staff because I don't have the answer. Um, we've talked about it before, but I feel like the, the, the fate of my restaurant is not only in my hands, but in the hands of our landlord, in the hands of the governor and the mayor. I don't really know how much of a say I actually have in the future of my business in light of a global pandemic and in light of all of these other elements that go into uh, they, they, they go into running a restaurant. I also, you know, a big concern for me, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. I've always understood that, that we are in charge of the public safety to a, to a certain degree in the way that the food needs to be sourced responsibly. Um, we need to run our operation in a way that is responsible for the community, for the environment, for the industry. But, you know, th there's a lot of fear and apprehension in me associated with, you know, what if there's an outbreak in my restaurant? What, you know, how do I keep myself and my family and my staff and, and my community safe during these times? It's a, it's a big pill to swallow. It's a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility. And like, how mortified would you be if, an outbreak happened um, in your restaurant, right? They like, we do contact tracing forms so that our guests, um, you know, find out where, uh, if we do have an outbreak, so 
we can contact them, which unfortunately a lot of restaurants don't do. Um, and yeah, it's mortifying. It keeps me up at night. And that's one of the reasons that we've scaled down um, dine-in services at one of the restaurants that's outdoor, completely outdoors, beautiful. You know, we had full books going into, you know, week after week on the weekends. And we just truthfully, my fear is my staff, like guests are guests and they took the risk, but the staff are coming in for us and they're coming in for the restaurant. And I just, I, I'm not in the mood to really put them in harm's way. Um, I care too much. And that's really in the end of the day, you know, we're leaving money on the table and so be it. You got a PPP loan. How did you choose to deploy the funds? We deployed our PPP funds in a way that we ended up leaving. Um, excuse me. Let me scratch that. So PPP came to us and it was at a time that I was absolutely terrified that our staff didn't have money in their pockets. And so as soon as I got it, we got it deployed out. We did a quick survey of asking people whether they needed the money. And if they did, we got it to them, you know, the next afternoon, you know, it, it came a little late. So if they were four or five weeks without money, that's obviously very, very scary. So um, we triaged it out of the gates. And then once we figured out kind of how to manage it, we paid our staff um, for to stay weeks, home, right? Stay home, and you know, thinking that on the flip side, that once we opened, that they would kind of give back in the same way. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And it was a real ego blow to hear that some people want to stay home and just collect unemployment. And um, probably one of the darkest days of my thirteen um, years doing this, just because we spend so much time on culture. But I had to kind of do a quick gut check. And, you know, when people don't have, you know, basic needs covered, I think it's it's scary. And I I hope it's because because fear, um, you know, drove their decision to stay home more more than laziness. Uh, let's talk about other strategies. You guys have, have adjusted the way you operate your businesses. You've adjusted your offering. Talk to me about uh, the things that are working and the things that haven't. You know, I'm abstinent against doing fast casual. I got in this business because I wanted it to be experiential. And I just feel like fast casual ordering, even ordering online sucks. I just, I hate that there's less and less interaction with, you know, our great team and our great clients. Like that's just a magic moment. And it's something that I've always lived for and why I'm in this business. Um, that being said, I'm, I've repivoted. So we just spend a ton of time on um, redoing all of our to-go packaging. So it's more experiential. So, you know, you receive it at home and you're like, oh, that's cute. That's something unexpected. You know, something that we always tried to push at Cheekies or, ooh, I feel like that's elegant from our steakhouse. So trying to carry on that, you know, the emotional feeling of why they came to us in the first place in a paper cardboard box somehow. Um, hopefully we're doing it with like, little thoughtful things where the sauce doesn't slide all over the box. And, you know, you get there and you're like, wow, this doesn't suck that bad. How have you redefined hospitality? I am struggling on this one just because how do you anticipate what your guest wants when you don't know who your guest is? And that's something that I've kind of 
thought was our secret sauce at our company is we knew who our guest was and we knew how to like give them what they were looking for. But when they're on the other side of a computer or even on the other side of a phone, it's just, it's so hard. Um, we've tried, we've tried to follow close comment cards. We've never done comment cards before. We're trying to get um, feedbacks and surveys, which I can't stand, but you know, how else do we figure out whether we're doing it right? You know, it's one of those things. Like when you're in live person, you can tell, you can see whether they're smiling. Have there been any surprises from the feedback? You know, my biggest surprise was Cheekies. We we went to a to-go model. Um, we did one weekend opening because we co, co-branded with a local charity and then went down to to-go and no one came. Like no one came, they didn't order, like it was just like a bloodbath. And, you know, we were doing like $200 a day, which is, you know, comes out to what, like seven guests. I don't know if people don't want breakfast. I don't know if we didn't do a good job. We had to pivot and stay open, for example. Whereas Birba Pizza, it, it does fine. It doesn't do great, but you know, it, it we're in the black and not in the red. And I think that's what we're all just kind of trying to hold on. And then once the storm's over, you know, we've all been doing like push-ups in the closet. We're going to come out with beach bods. <laughs> hopefully. What is, hopefully, what does success look like for you in 2020? What was 2020? I forget. <laughs> uh, success um, for me, I think we've already been successful. I think we've um, realigned what's important to us. I think, um, we dotted all of our eyes. I'm really excited. We've automated like back of house stuff from like payroll sliding into with our POS, like things that were always like real frustrations. Um, and I know operators understand these little details. You're like, oh my God, I'm redoing a spreadsheet manually. Like that's crazy. Um, and I would really... I'd really like to get just the restaurants open and the staff and the guests still excited to be together at some point. We got to have Mr. Lyons open and like guest after guest were just so appreciative that we were open and that we were, you know, still doing great food. And that is always a success. I think we all know if we were driven by um, making money, none of us would be in this industry. <laughs> you know, we laugh, but we don't laugh. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, that leads to the next question, which is how have you redefined your short-term and long-term goals? What does the future look like for you? Yeah. I mean, short-term is literally all about how can we keep the most amount of staff on the payroll um, and not have to terminate or furlough or whatever nuanced word we're using this week. That's a hundred percent short-term goal. How can we make enough money to keep the team intact um, long-term goals is, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to partner. We'd love to, you know, we'd love to acquire. We'd love to, you know, I'm, there's a lot of people who weren't doing, doing well before this pandemic and it's a perfect out because there's no ego and you have plenty, you know, no blame, just look, it was a pandemic. They don't need to see your books. They don't need to see you're struggling. They don't need to know you didn't pay your vendors. And, you know, there's people like us who are like really excited to, to pick up businesses like that and, um, you know, maybe make them a little bit more magical. 
In, in terms of, of growing wide versus growing deep, do you see this as an opportunity for expansion or is your focus to dig in and, and try and create the most profitable models imaginable with what you already have? So we've talked about even buying out competition um, and I'm not usually such a market capitalist, but it, it might be a good idea in this market, especially some of the old like stalwarts that aren't really doing food that's shall I say, reputable, not even on a taste wise, but even their sourcing's just really yuck. And it would be nicer if less people served commodity meat, for example. That being said, you know, I think we talked about earlier, you know, being a female and networking. I think as my company gets bigger, we're not going to be taken seriously enough unless we can do proven concepts outside of this market. And so um, I'm definitely looking elsewhere just to get that kind of feather in the cap. I mean, I don't really know what for, but if I think if we're good and our systems are good, it'd be fun to test them in a different market and see if uh, we really know what we're doing or not. When everything cranks back up, you think you're going to go back to 80-hour work weeks, 100-hour work weeks? I love 80-hour work weeks. Um, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> they love me. I love them. It's just, we're, there's a real love affair there. I think my husband's really sick of me, so he's probably looking for <laughs> work weeks. Yeah, I do think so. Especially, listen, if, if we're making less money, um, we got to pull more weight and wear a lot more different hats than, than we had to before. But that being said, automation's pretty amazing. You know, you're an, a, an expert in, you know, the technological sides of the restaurant business and a lot of, a lot of great faster efficiencies have, have come out of, um, you know, even in your consulting side. So there've been some really good things that have come out of the industry or out of the pandemic for the industry. Um, you know, I think cocktails to go are here to stay. I think that, that, you know, even though we're not able to offer a dining experience, I think when you see what some companies are doing with these farmer's market boxes and cocktails to go, and uh, a buddy of mine is actually doing like this riff off a of food truck, but it's all cocktails, right? So like the, this cocktail-esque food truck comes to your house, drops off a little package with everything you need. Um, you know, Lord knows we're a scrappy bunch, but through that resilience, I, I think some really, really good things have come out of the industry. Things that probably wouldn't have come out for 10 years. And on the design side, I mean, there's so much inspiration. I've never been a follower of Instagram, but gosh, every time you go on and you're like, damn, that's a good idea. That being said, I also think like to go packaging is still like needs a little work. So I'm excited to see what innovations are going to come out of that um, and how much more paper we're going to waste and stuff like that, that I'm not so <laughs> fond of. But, you know, we got, we never had to go at any of our restaurants before. We never had like an online to go platform. That's, you know, even if things are back to normal, that we're definitely going to keep that in the future. Now knowing it's so easy to integrate. Do you guys do third party delivery or do you do it in house? We do it in house. We um, have a hotel next door, so we get to do room service there. We're battling between um, delivery and not. We're actually trying to do something really cool. Um, the Pope in Italy, he has this pizza box that's delivered to him and it keeps it the exact heat as when it came out of the pizza oven. So we're trying to reformulate that pizza box. Little fun stuff that, I mean, now that we have time, let's, let's play the game, right? 
Yeah. Well, it's good to see you enjoying it. I mean, if there was ever a time, this is it. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things that I like to do at the end of every episode is I, I like to give the guests an opportunity to talk directly to their compatriots in the industry. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement that you want to share? God, I'm so far from giving any words of advice. I wish they could give me words of advice right now. But my only thing that I, I'm proud of through all this is that, you know, our, our culture paid off in the end. And um, it's amazing that some people do still come to work and a lot of them can make a lot more money sitting on the couch. And I think this is a really good time to really beef up um, your love and appreciation for everyone and know that if they're working with you, it's probably because they believe in you more than because they don't have anywhere else to be and give that love back and show how much you appreciate them for believing in you. Cause that's really in the end of the day, such like the best feeling ever. That's Tara Lazar of F10 Creative. To check out everything the F10 team is working on, go to f10creative.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.